0: Hi everyone, I'm Elizabeth Stein, founder and CEO of Purely Elizabeth, and this is Live Purely with Elizabeth, featuring candid conversations about how to thrive on your wellness journey. This week's guest is Justin Kamine, co-founder of Do Good Foods, a planet forward entrepreneur who started with his brother Matthew to combat climate change and fight food waste. The Cayman Brothers Company builds on the family's 40-year heritage of solving macro-environmental problems through building large infrastructure solutions. Justin has earned the Forbes 30 Under 30 Award for Food, ranked as one of the 50 most impactful entrepreneurs in the U.S., and earned him the Clean Tech Equity Award presented by the Prince of Monaco. In this episode, Justin shares all about his passion for solving food waste, the third largest greenhouse emitter. With 40% of all food grown in the US getting thrown away, Justin and the Do Good team have created the solution by taking food waste at supermarkets, turning that waste into feed for chickens, then selling those chickens on retail shelves. This closed-loop system empowers consumers to be part of the solution without having to change habits, which can solve food waste and climate issues in the next five years. Justin's mission is to bring sustainability to scale, whether solving for food waste, creating solutions for single-use plastic made out of seaweed, or upcycling cardboard to save billions of trees. This was such an inspiring and exciting conversation for our future. Keep listening to learn more.
1: Justin, welcome to the podcast. I'm
0: so excited to be
1: chatting with you today. And ironically, as we were just talking, you're here in Boulder today. So, had we known we could have been in person?
2: <laughs> well, great to be here and uh, really excited by it.
1: Well, I found out about what you were doing a couple months ago and reached out. And so, I'm so excited to share with our community for me to learn more because it's amazing what you guys are doing. So, I would love to start with your background story, what got you interested in food waste, in helping to solve climate change? Obviously, that's a long journey, but if we can kind of start maybe right after college and and how you got into this.
2: Yeah. So the story actually kind of starts a little bit before college. So I'll go back there. So my dad was uh, a serial entrepreneur and still is. And he uh, helped build one of the largest independent power businesses in the mid 80s. He was a industrial plumber installing boiler rooms and and paper mills and greenhouses and ended up mortgaging his house four times and with three kids got GE to finance a lot of money behind that and power kind of New York state with natural gas. And then we then built a a large telecom company that GE once again financed about two and a half billion dollars across the country. And I tell you all that because large scale infrastructure is the DNA of the family. And it's about Bringing, whether that be dial up or whether that be energy to companies or to consumers in a way that's economically viable and uh, within, with the environment also in real clear focus. In the mid 80s, natural gas cogeneration was amazingly environmentally progressive. So that DNA has kind of always been with the family. And about 12 years ago, when my brother and I graduated college, we were uh, kind of sitting around the table with my father and, and a bunch of uh, our, our other team members. And we said, how do we use this infrastructure approach to help solve some of the biggest problems in society and to really focus that on to some of the biggest environmental problems. And at that time, we, solar energy was just getting started. We raised $225 million and deployed that into building, owning, and operating large-scale solar projects for companies. The major pharmaceuticals, we made Six Flags, one of the first amusement parks in the world to be hundred percent powered by solar. Wow. Really big projects, really kind of creative and unique, but finding those win, win, wins, wins for the environment, uh, wins for the, the corporations and lowering the cost of electricity. And then obviously creating a business that was actually profitable. The food waste journey got started about six years ago when solar energy was great. It's continues to be great, but it wasn't really entrepreneur anymore. And we said, how do we take this huge infrastructure solution kind of approach to solve what we deemed as one of some of the biggest problems in, in the food system? Uh, and that was and is, of course, food waste. So 40% of all the food that gets grown gets thrown away. And if food waste was a country, it'd be the third largest greenhouse gas emitter. We use close to 20% of our farmland to grow crops that simply get thrown away. And so we said, how do we create a solution that could scale with the largest companies in, in the U.S., the largest retailers, make it first and foremost economically viable so we pick up all their food for free and then use that food based upon the EPA food hierarchy to its next best usage, which, of course, first is always to be fed to humans. And then the next best usage of that food is to actually be converted into an animal feed. If you think about it, that's the way we all used to grow up on farms. We used to take our leftovers and feed to our chickens and pigs and pets out back. They grew healthy, they grew, great, right? And now we're doing so at this large scale infrastructure level, where we're now we're taking all of that food and converting it into a dried animal feed that can go right back into the existing feed mill infrastructure of all of our major farmers. So now we can truly bring sustainability to scale and really sit here today and said, and say that we can solve food waste not over the next 20 or 30 years, but over the next five years, because we have that infrastructure background. And now we're finally linking it to a consumer-based product called Do Good Chicken, which now actually empowers us all to be a part of this solution, where each Do Good Chicken now saves four pounds of surplus grocery food and three pounds of greenhouse gases and completes that closed-loop system where we can all be a part of fighting food waste and combating climate change and using our food system to solve some of the biggest environmental problems.
1: That's incredible. It's so... Amazing what you guys are doing. So, so many questions from that. First, so you identified at the beginning that, you know, grocery stores were this infrastructure of, of the, I guess, one of the biggest culprits for food waste in the system. As you continue to scale, is that something that will move beyond the grocery store? What does that look like? And, and I guess, do you, what is the percent of that 40% food waste that comes from? The grocery store.
2: So, grocery stores are a massive, obviously, contributor to those numbers, right? Yeah. And if you think about it from a consumer's perspective, we walk into any supermarket at any time, anywhere throughout the country. We expect to see all of the products at all times. There is no seasonality anymore, right? There is, I mean, supply chain we can talk about, but people are now becoming accustomed to. They just want to buy a couple click of the buttons or go into the, the retailer and get everything that they ever wanted. And so that's just the reality of the food system. So we need just to understand that. So with that inherently comes a lot of waste, unfortunately, and no local food bank can take hundreds of tons of food every single day. We wish, uh, obviously we, we hope and, and, and maximize all the food donations, but that type of volume, hundreds of thousands of pounds cannot be reutilized. And so from the supermarket perspective, they will always, unfortunately, relatively have some portion of food waste. We also pick up from food service providers. They're also kind of on this very much of a logistics based business and trying to match all of that to their customers and always yet still have volume capabilities so that their customers can always, once again, pick everything that they always wanted. So the reality of those two dynamics enables or essentially creates the fact that we will always have some form of food waste. From the, the on the farm level, there's great companies that really help talk about the whole ugly produce and how do we really upcycle all of those? And this whole terminology of upcycled and better for you brands is really becoming part of the ecosystem. And it was part of Whole Foods kind of trending terms for 2021. So I think consumers are really recognizing that, hey, this this is all really good, high quality nutrients. Let's keep upcycling them and keep using them to its next best usage. And we're sitting here saying the same thing that from supermarkets and retailers, after human donations can occur, the next best usage, and this food is still high quality food, it's to be converted into an animal feed. And so that's what we're doing.
1: Sunny, I had, well, so how we connected, I had I had Sam on the podcast. And so he was talking about what you were doing. That was the first time I heard it. And it made me think, like, hey, what can we do on the manufacturing side? Can you use, you know, there's so much waste across all manufacturers. Can you use that sort of food as well? Or is it really like more produce oriented?
2: Well, first and foremost, we actually aren't even calling it food waste because this isn't. It's I mean, not what, right. what we pick up is literally food that you would have a barbecue and make a salad out of, right? Yeah. I mean, it's insane. It's still cold to touch. I mean, it's still, it's fresh. It doesn't smell, it's literally high quality nutrients. And we have some photos on our website that just kind of showcase it. It's just like, this is the reality of what we're dealing with. But I mean, absolutely, man, get, listen, I think consumers are are really wanting to be a part of the solution. And I think that's what's so powerful here. And when you talk about kind of your brand with trying to figure out upside gold or, or ingredients or go to zero waste as well, that's hugely beneficial. And that's all part of the story. We all, and what's so exciting about the food system, we eat food three times a day or most of us, right? So we're all involved in it at all times and everyone wants to inherently become more sustainable or at least majority of people, right? I think the last stat was saying that 90% of people are raising their hand saying, what can I do to fight food waste? What can I do to combat climate change? But don't tell me I got to change all of my habits or I got to do something that's absolutely crazy or unique or different. And so when we talk and we have brands like yourself that can talk about zero waste, that's a really kind of cool little check mark that I think a lot of people are looking for, or the fo- the focus of upcycled or closed loop systems, all of those types of kind of terminologies that I think are really driving, uh, inherently in the consumer's mindset. And then we kind of take it and try to take it a next step forward where we actually have the first USDA quantifiable and verified equation. That now actually says that each do chicken saves three pounds of greenhouse gases and four pounds of surplus grocery food. So you as a consumer or you as a corporation can actually have a quantifiable kind of calculator. Every time you're buying a piece of chicken, you know, now that that's going up and you're actually doing good for the world. And I think that's where we're going to get to where it's hopefully becoming kind of this game where it's like, if one out of every five pieces of chicken that we ate, just you and I and everyone and all the other consumers. One out of every five pieces of chicken, we'd solve food waste in the next three, four, five years.
1: That's incredible. How long did it take you to set up the infrastructure and then from there to really launch the brand? Because you're doing two things simultaneously.
2: Yeah. We were just talking right before we got jumped on this that the entrepreneur journey is this one that's crazy. It's uh, everyone can I think, write their own book. And uh, the ups and downs and twists and turns that are associated with that. We started off six years ago. We spent kind of $25 million of our own family cap, family and friends capital to figure this whole thing out. There's a reason that this was, and it is one of the biggest problems in the food system, right? No, one's kind of figured out how do you collect the food and keep it in the cold chain to so keep that fresh? Yeah. How do you take 160 tons every single day and put it through a process where we take 35% meat, 65% fruits and vegetables, put it through a grinding system, we pasteurize it, we centrifuge out the fats, we blend it like a, like a wine for nutrient consistency, and then we get that product onto massive drying systems to get to that uniform, nutriently consistent healthy, dried animal feed. Sounds kind of easy, but... Um, oh, no, that doesn't sound and- easy at all. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All I started with was like putting a couple of flowers together and making a muffin mix. This is way beyond <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that startup environment.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we started off kind of with like, like a Vitamix. Yeah. Um, and now we're in a 100,000 square foot kind of facility, $170 million production facility in Pennsylvania. And we plan to build 50 of these across the country to kind of bring one in every major metropolitan area. But the branding and association of, of with that That's just kind of came about the past 16 or 18 months. We brought on some of the top executives from Nestle and the former CFO of Kind Bar. And we have guys like Sam Cass and Tom Colicchio that are involved saying, we can go and actually bring sustainability to scale in the animal protein space. And that is so unique and differentiated. And that's all created by the feed that we create. So let's go and really tell that that holistic and better for you story onto the retail shelf. And for better or worse, even though if we had tried to launch do good, probably six years ago, I don't think consumers were there yeah. right now coming out of COVID spe- specifically, people care and people want to be a part of it. And people want to feel empowered to feel like they're actually contributing to a net positive in the world. And I think from literally our packaging to how we treat our farmers, to all of the kind of humane we raise to everything that we're doing in this company. The sole focus of do good foods and do good chicken is literally to solve one of the biggest environmental problems, right? And that's so unique and so core to the ethos and and, and what we are doing as humans. And what we are doing as a company that showing up on the brand, enabling and empowering people to do good for their plate. So it tastes delicious and it has all the standard claims that we know and that we're used to, and if it's priced the same and tastes the same, why wouldn't we do good for the planet?
1: Yeah, it really makes it frictionless and a no-brainer for the consumer. How has the reception been from getting it into retail? I would assume that every retailer is saying, yes, I want this on my shelves. I mean, they'd be crazy not to.
2: We are already starting to build the next locations of the upcycling of surplus grocery food kind of feed facilities because the demand is already skyrocketing. First and foremost, I pick up all the food from supermarkets for free. So I save them a lot of money. They're currently paying to get rid of that food. To, and to, do you have
1: to set up an infrastructure at the supermarket to hold the produce or it's already in, in the
2: we, refrigerator? We just give, them, we, we just give the, them these like designated bins. They look like, like a easy. big Yeti cooler and they just depackage, they put right there and we pick that up every couple of days, but it's kept in the cold chain. And that's why I said Yeti cooler, because it kind of acts like a big like kind of uh, Yeti cooler that you bring to your beach. So we're able to really maintain literally as cold to touch. And so, yeah, we're able to do that. And then from the retailer's perspective, I'm not only saving them money, but then I'm handing them back a standard piece of chicken that they make their standard margin on it. So it's actually when they do the calculation, the most profitable kind of solution for them, which that's the key the key emphasis here. Why did it take us six years to figure this whole thing out? It has to be economically viable for every single stakeholder. And if I can go to the supermarkets and say I can save you of millions of dollars, and you can also make even more money off of our piece of chicken. I can go to the farmers and say, Hey, you're going to make more money by or, or better profit by growing our chicken. And then I can become a profitable business myself. That's really how we enable the food system that enable consumers to be this flywheel to solve quickly the most pressing environmental problems. And I'm an environmental realist, but. You project out 20, 30, 40 years from now, we're in, we're in some tough times. Resources are going down, population's going up and there's a tremendous inefficiency in the middle and we need large scale solutions now that are profitable businesses that showcase to the world that we are all in this together. And that's kind of the core mission. We are all in this together to really enable us to hopefully really have a long-term sustainability and uh, a planet to actually live on.
1: Yeah, I mean, you talk about populations going up. I've been doing a lot of reading. I've been reading Tony Robbins' Life Force book, which is, I don't know if you've read it. It just came out recently, but it's all about our ability to be able to extend our lives. And so it's not only that our population is going up, but we're going to be living, you know, until we're 150 years old. And so here you have this population needing uh, more food and that's going to become... That much more important
2: yeah and i think what's exciting now in the food system is like you're seeing amazing solutions like i am fully for plant-based proteins i'm fully for all yes we need to reduce our animal consumption absolutely right but the magnitude is i mean just for chicken there's nine billion chicken consumed in the u.s alone wow each one of my facilities is only creating enough feed for 25 million chicken that's why i brought up the stat that said One out of every five pieces of chicken that we all ate was a do-go chicken. We'd solve food waste. So it's like, great. We have a tremendous room to reduce our animal consumption. We need to. We need to increase regenerative agriculture. We need to stop (laughs) uh, uh, cutting down the rainforest to literally grow corn and soy to feed our animals. This is a big solution for that. We have all these nutrients, the leftover surplus grocery food.
1: Right. That's a huge piece of
2: it. It's a huge, it's, it's, it's a good portion of their diet that now we don't need to grow because we've already put the time, energy, and resources from the farmers to grow that, those nutrients. Let's maximize those nutrients and put it into an animal's diet. That's really closed loop. That's real sustainable agriculture that we absolutely need to get to. And I think the biggest unlock here is the empowering of the consumer to really be a part of that solution.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's that brand side that makes it easy. So will you in the future be going beyond chickens to other meats as well?
2: Yeah, we're we, we are actually uh, actively running an egg trial right now. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, we, we look to kind of be where I envision that we can take do-good foods, and yeah. where we can not only be re- restricted to animal proteins, but all of these better for you and upcycled brands, right? They're all talking about the same thing, whether it be, hey, I'm upcycling orange peels or, I'm working with the Amazon kind of banana forest guys and say, how do I create them uh, and and enable them to be more profitable and more sustainable? So there's so many of these brands that are really talking the talk and, and, and doing it too that I look at let's become that kind of massive CPG company where we can actually have and showcase to the consumers integrity, honesty, and trust. And most importantly, every product is a net positive for the world not a net negative. And I think that's hugely unique and differentiated. And yeah, largely it's predicated upon our retail and food service relationships that we've already kind of built up by doing things at such a large scale already.
1: So for people at home who wanna feel like they're helping do their part on from a food waste perspective, what tips do you have around that?
2: I think that's, that's a great question. So I'm no chef, uh, you talk about Sam being you know, on recently, he's much better of a chef than I am, but I think it's kind of fun to kind of look around your fridge and say, okay, this is a, I would throw this away tomorrow, but how do I use it in some type of dish kind of currently right now? So I think it's kind of like your own personal chart, right? I,
1: that's what I do all the time. I started that like during the beginning of quarantine and that is now my go-to way that I cook.
2: It's kind of fun. It's kind of they like, like you, got, you kind of like laugh to yourself and you're like, yeah, this sucks. But okay, whatever. I ate the food. Right. <laughs> um, so I think that's the kind of first and foremost. And then, I mean, I think there's a lot of really cool kind of innovative companies that are doing kind of in-home composting kits and stuff like that, which is fantastic. And then I think it, it's also the recognition. The moment people start to value and think about who grew that food. Where did that food come from, right? And you kind of think, okay, oh my God, this animal had to be raised or this blueberry had to literally start off as a seed and then, oh my God, it's coming from California and that shipping and that logistics and to just to get to here in this package, right? The moment we make that human connection to food and make that really tangible, I think people will, at the retail level buy in a more strategic way. Mm-hmm. not kind of buy these huge, bold things and say, oh, whatever. I mean, everyone's had their sal- the, the the salad uh, clamshell kind of thing in the back of their fridge But be like, oh my God, I completely forgot about that because I bought three of them, right? So how do we reduce our own personal waste? I think is a big key aspect um, of it all as well.
1: I think a lot of it goes into also planning. It's like you go to the store and if you don't know what you're going to make, you just buy a bunch of things and ultimately it ends up in the back. And so really getting more conscious about, hey, if I'm buying this cheese, like how am I going to use it in a recipe all week and not let it go to waste? Absolutely. But it's hard. It's hard to be that organized. For so many <laughs> yeah. people. <laughs>
2: yeah, no. And, and, and I think that's the kind of realistic of the understanding of all of us, right? We all have so much on our plate. Everyone's doing everything, right? Especially now, it's like you're on a million Zoom calls, you're running around with your kids, you're trying to navigate friends and family and all that type of stuff that it's like the only way to solve some of the biggest problems that i perceive society having is to empower us all to be a part of that solution but not change habits yeah because we don't think we have time to yeah and yes we need to become more aware and yes we can reduce certain things but to think that we're going to kind of have a little switch where it's going to be all hundred percent one thing or a hundred percent another thing we gotta become realist and say, okay, we're in this situation for a reason. There are massive environmental problems happening now and in the future that we can literally just understand and be tan- and, and 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 know. How do we solve it in the most realistic way, recognizing that the largest corporations of, of the world have to have it be economically viable?
1: Yeah. Uh, so Along with that, where else do you think food is going, whether it be from a climate perspective, from waste, from anything, just kind of future of food?
2: The future of food. That's a big question. Yeah. I do think, well, outside of the upcycling, outside of the truly quantifiable carbon equations on food, I do look at indoor agriculture as an interesting aspect. Can it get to scale quickly enough to be determined? I do love the plant-based proteins. I think that's fantastic. And I think there's some room from a kind of a mushroom kind of uh, kind of fermentation kind of plant-based or plant substitute.
1: Have you tried but meaty yet?
2: I, I haven't yet. I should just talk to them though. <laughs> They're great. So I, I look at, but I also look at a lot more QSR restaurants. Mm-hmm. So groups like Cobb and Sweetgreen and all of these kind of better for you brands kind of popping up because consumers are saying, yeah, I want to eat healthier, which is a huge component of not only the way the food system operates, obviously it's, the, it's a huge component of the way our healthcare system operates, right? I mean, a, a large portion of us have multiple chronic conditions, largely predicated upon the foods that we are eating. So I think this whole movement away from processed foods, away from sugar, away from all this kind of the the sodas and all that type of stuff to these much better, healthier solutions that are still affordable, that's where we need to get to. And that's going to have the trickle effect on the crops that we grow, how we grow them. And the understanding of that consumer is actually, yeah, wanting to be a part of that solution. So whether it be regenerative agriculture or cover crops or whatever it may be, they're more accustomed and attuned to walking into a place like Sweetgreen and saying, oh yeah, I'm, I'm willing to try a unique lettuce form because it was regen or it was a part of a cover crop for corn and soy because we need to sequester CO2 into the soil and improve the soil health. So I think that's the big unlock here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Are you looking at other areas for investment or for your business currently that you would go into like unrelated to food waste?
2: Yeah, so I, next uh,
1: infrastructure,
2: <laughs> well, we're doing a big thing in cardboard infrastructure, uh, to upcycle all the cardboard that's currently going to landfill. So we can hopefully save about 120 million trees per year from being cut down. So that's a big initiative. And the when, other one, when will that
1: be up and running?
2: Uh, we're working on it. It's, it's still a couple of years away. That's uh, and it. then, yeah. Then the other two companies, men's is a full clinical nutrition program. Uh, so talk about the whole food is medicine platform. That's been really exciting and kind of just showcasing. It's like, yeah, we all need to eat better and work out more, but we also need to have our supplements and our, and our powders to actually have real clinical evidence behind it for specific outcomes. So that's been an exciting platform. And the, and the last one I'm involved in is a company called Lollyware, which is a seaweed based bioplastic, uh, talk about the entrepreneur journey. Five years ago, I was on Shark Tank and try to kind of figure out what are we going to really be? And now we're in a really cool position where seaweed, of course, is a carbon sink, right? It doesn't require much inputs. It sequester CO2. It helps the ocean. And we can actually create a seaweed based pellet that looks like a plastic pellet. And that pellet can go right through existing extrusion equipment and actually create the kind of, what I believe is the next iteration of quote unquote single use, but that are actually designed to disappear and are actually have the same structural integrity. And what looks and feels like a plastic straw or a cup and yet is, a, is made out of seaweed. So I'm really excited by that one. Once again, enabling the consumers continue their habits as is, right? Yeah, we can reduce straw consumption. Yeah, we can reduce single-use plastics and all that type of stuff. But the reality is, is that it's not going to change overnight. But if we can empower every consumer to still enable that habit to occur and that now actually have products that are a net positive for the world, If we actually create a seaweed-based economy, we're actually sequestering more and more CO2. So it almost becomes counterintuitive. It's like, yeah, use more straws. Right. And it's, and it's like, great. I'm not going to ask you to change anything. Go to Starbucks, go to wherever and and get your coffee, get your straws. That's fantastic. The more we actually use a seaweed-based materials, the quicker we sequester more CO2. That's
1: amazing. Could it end up making a plastic bottle?
2: Eventually, but I don't, I'm okay, not ready. Right that's hard. Yet. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that's amazing though. All right. So you have a lot going on, Justin, in your life. I'm curious to hear a couple, couple of questions on this. I'm curious first to hear that, how you manage, I I don't use the word balance because as you know, that's like not realistic, but how you manage balancing all these different growing empires and kind of your everyday life. What tips can you share?
2: Yeah, it balance is an interesting word. Um, I think with, with the phones and computers, right, we're, we're connected now 24-7. So, yeah, I'm waking up and doing emails at 3 a.m. in the morning. My father's still texting at 4 a.m. saying, what about this idea? What about that idea? That's <laughs> so inherently ingrained in kind of, I guess, our DNA for better or worse. But I think turning off your phone, I've actually started to do that. And just like. Not, I mean, you, like or oh,
1: at what point in the day?
2: Like I'll go to the gym and like, from like 6 to 8, I'll just like turn it off. And like that just reset and like that decompression where it's not just like, oh, let me just constantly check is actually a really beneficial way. And I do think that the problems that we are focused on, every one of these companies is focused on the massive problem, right? Whether it be the healthcare system, the food waste, the animal agriculture, seaweed-based bioblastics, whatever, cardboard, it's inspiring and exciting that there are so many people willing to jump in and willing to lend their time and energy and resources. I can't tell you how many people have opened up doors for me that ask for nothing in return. And it's just that do good effect. It's that pay it forward because we're all on this planet together. And I guess what kind of inspires me is if I don't have kids yet. I want them and their future is kind of dependent upon how we act currently right now. And so that enables me to kind of wake up every day kind of with a smile on my face, sometimes with a lot of anxiety, (laughs) but it's that, okay, we're all in this together, that do good of, I want to do good with good people. So balance and relaxation, it's kind of like it just becomes every day where it's finding that hour or two to kind of really just decompress. And then, yeah, it's just eat healthy and working out and and having fun alongside of it, recognizing that we're all not going to get out of here alive anyway. So might might as well enjoy it.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, when you're so passionate about something that has such a bigger purpose than you, you just want to do it every day. And it, it's not It's like work is never a word that you would ever use. It's just yeah, it's, your it's, DNA.
2: The, the best question that I ever got asked was uh, a gentleman. Uh, I was on a panel. And he walked up the aisle and he started asking me, what is your dash? What is your dash? He turns around to the entire room and says, everyone is in here is defined by their dash. And Justin, what's your dash? I'm like, sir, with all due respect, no idea what you're talking about, right? I'm like, should what dash means? I have no idea, right? I'm like sweating up on the stage. I'm like, I have no idea. I completely missed this in school. And uh, he puts his arm around me and he goes, think about it. The day that you die, you get your gravestone. You the name that you're given, the day that you're born, Dash, the day that you're dead. And your Dash is your legacy. Your Dash is your contribution to society. Your Dash is how many people you actually impacted. That's actually going to show up at your funeral, right? And it's this like kind of morbid way to think about life. But if you wake up every day, you're going to go, okay, am I making my Dash happy? And, and am I satisfying that? That's a really cool way to live so that every kind of interaction, every kind of engagement that you have, you try to be relatively positive.
1: I love that. That's such a great takeaway. So as we talk about the entrepreneurial journey and having this dash mindset, I'm curious to hear how you deal with the ebbs and flows, ups and downs, the roller coaster that is the entrepreneurial journey.
2: It's intense. I'm aided from Pretty much uh, Christmas to New Year's, we were sleeping on the factory floor, 20-hour days, falling off ladders. I got a crowbar in my butt kind of. Oh, my uh, God. (laughs) I felt, yeah, it was like, but yet you kind of love it too. And it's like, there's nothing better than building it with your hands and feeling that. But what I've learned over the past kind of 12 years, and, and now as an investor also, investing into a lot of companies with I mean, we, we invest early on, right? So it's like an idea concept. Okay, cool. Let's create it. Let's think about it. Let's figure it out. Let's find the right people, which is pretty crazy. Now that I look back at it, the many platforms we now have. And all of those have gone through these moments where we look at each other beyond and you say, what are we doing? We have nowhere to go. There's nothing. We, we don't know what to do. Clients are inviting and we're running out of cash. And I think. There's that persistence and that never fail attitude, especially when you put the mission of what we are trying to do at the forefront. Food waste isn't a thing that we hope to solve. We have to solve it, right? Cardboard. We can't keep throwing away all this cardboard into landfills where meanwhile, we're cutting down hundreds of millions of trees. It just just keeps going back to that dash and that future kind of when I have children kind of mindset say, this doesn't add up. it just becomes a math equation. So from an entrepreneur dealing with a lot of these ebbs and flows and yeah, I've had the best days and the worst days and in the same day. Right. And I'm sure everyone had that experience where in the morning, you're literally at, in tears, crying when someone's calls you and says, how's it going? And you're like, oh, it's great. I can't wait to, yeah. And you in the back of your mind. it's like, oh my God, cash flow. Oh my God, this, oh my God, that. And yet you got to put on this brave face. And that attitude, it's actually kind of the best thing where it's like, how do you become emotionless in a lot of these problems? And I think that's what I've learned over the past 12 years, which is what I thought was a problem way back when (laughs) I look at that. I'm like, I laugh at like, why did I even lose sleep over that problem? Because now I got this one, this one's way bigger, but I've learned that to manage that, especially as I'm sure you have too, the moment people start relying upon you for a paycheck too. And they're built it and they brought, bought, bought into the mission and the company, your emotional levels are looked at and scrutinized in a much different way. And so I think navigating that and learning that and trying to keep relatively flatlined from an emotions perspective, and that I'm very passionate and anime when I talk, which that's just kind of me, but the ups and downs and ebbs and flows, you at least try to hide, or at least try to kind of manage with a small select group of people, at least is kind of the way I've learned how to do it.
1: Yeah. I could not agree with you more. I, that was a tip someone gave me early on. And I think luckily, personally, I'm very even keeled so It was very natural, but you absolutely have to just keep that persistency. It's tough. (laughs) What's it like working with your family?
2: It's tough. <laughs> no, there's a, uh, honestly, so my brother and I are, are extremely complimentary. He's very analytical. He's the engineer and he's brilliant in all that he does. And so he's a great, we're great yin and yang. Cause I really just says, let's go save the world. Let's go figure it out. And then he brings me back to reality and say, okay, how are we really going to build this or what are we really going to do? So I think there's a really good and an amazing compliment. And there's nothing better in, in, in my life than building it with the family. I don't think I recognize and appreciate what my mom and dad went through coming from nothing to now building over $4 billion of infrastructure. It sounded kind of like, oh, that's a nice story. then when you're really building infrastructure and you recognize, holy shit, Wow, I can't imagine how you did this without computers and cell phones and everything, and you got all these big companies to be a part of this. And to appreciate that story and to appreciate also the willingness and the excitement that many of those same people, I mean, my dad's first hire, who's is, is our head of construction still. Oh, that's Seven, so cool. He's 70 plus years old, he's been with the family for 35 years. I'm only 33 years old, right? So he's been with us for longer. And he's still up there grinding away and at the facility, pipe fitting and doing all this type of stuff. And it's just amazing. So it's just a, how you treat people, B, the kind of family. And we really need it when you join our companies. It's just like, we're a family and we're transparent in everything that goes on. And okay, cool. We're all in this together. So you see some of these ebbs and flows and ups and downs. And I think that kind of helps as well with the entrepreneur journey where it's like people, you're not hiding anything. You're not trying to, you're you're being, and a lot of our investors say, it's like, Good news travels fast, bad, bad news travels faster because for the most part, if you have a good advisory team and investment group, most of them have probably been through a lot of the same situations that you're experiencing. And there's nothing better as an entrepreneur when you get that phone call and you're like, Hey, how's it going? And you're like, I'm lost. I'm devastated. I think, I don't know what's going to go on. I think I'm going to lose all my money. What's going, <laughs> right? And they're, and they just kind of talk you through it. And they kind of talk you up the ledge and you're like, yeah, okay, cool. Like I got it. Like, right. They're like, no the
1: big next... deal. That happened. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And so I think it's that support network. That's really cool, which expands it away from just our internal family to really this external family and people like Sam Cass that have kind of taken me by my, 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 my shoulders and become one of my best friends, but then also just kind of this kind of thought leader and kind of the business community with me. That's just really become special.
1: Yeah. So I was going to ask you, you do have incredible advisors. It sounds like what are some of the best lessons that you've learned from their experiences that have really helped shape the last couple of years for you?
2: I was literally actually just with uh, Ann Vanneman, who was a former U.S. Secretary of Ag, and she's one of my kind of key advisors. And she talked me through a scenario that when she was at the Department of Agriculture that She had all these hundreds of people saying, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And she got up on stage and just trusted her gut and just said a simple one kind of little sentence phrase that calmed up, calmed everyone, calmed the markets. But it was something that everyone was advising her not to do. And it ended up being the best thing to do. And so as I've expanded kind of our teams, we now have hundred plus people in in a bunch of different platforms. And it's when you know something so intimately, right? When you built it with your bare hands and you've gone through the many years and now you are entrusting it with a bunch of other people and everyone's got to do their job collectively together, that there still comes down to the moments where you do got to just trust your gut in some instances and take everyone's thoughts and everyone's kind of and appreciate them. But you're here for a reason um, in that capacity. So I think that's kind of one of the main lessons that I just kind of re- got re-emphasized. And then what my dad always says, which I, I love, it's we reserve the right to get smarter every day. And and if you just take that notion and every day can kind of get better. So like, okay, sorry, yesterday I kind of messed up there, but you know, and I learned from that. And you learn quickly as an entrepreneur Yeah. And and that's the best thing and that's the most important thing.
1: Yeah, I love that. It's. I always say like, there's. I've had no regrets in this journey. Everything is a lesson.
2: Yeah, and you look back and you're like, I would have never made that mistake again. Like that never. was too
1: good. Right. <laughs> but it served a purpose.
2: I, I completely agree that it kind of everything is happening for a reason, and you're yeah. just like, and that's that kind of positive mind and that kind of never fail attitude. Where if you keep taking that, you're like, thank God that thing happened because I wouldn't have been creative. And most firestorms, that's the best thing. Most firestorms where you're like in the pits of an entrepreneur journey, you're like this is going to blow up, enables and makes you be so much more creative to solve that problem that it oftentimes becomes the made pillar or the made solution that you just keep going forward with. And that is a really cool vibe.
1: Totally. So talking about being positive, I'm curious to hear if you have any other routines or things that you do in your daily life to make you feel wonderful and awesome in addition to your working out. Any good secret tips?
2: So I was going into my mom's pantry eating all purely, purely Elizabeth's projects.
1: Yes. <laughs> Obviously that is what is fueling all of this. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. Honestly, yes. <laughs> I
1: usually
2: don't eat all day. And then like I go to like, my mom and dad's place and they're like, they always have it. And I'm like, all right, I just need handfuls.
1: What's your favorite product flavor?
2: Uh, the uh, cinnamon one, pumpkin cinnamon, pumpkin cinnamon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. nice. Um, so what? It, I guess I'm just always a a people person, and and that's kind of been my DNA. So, honestly, it's like I go through life, and it's like if I can make the little kid on the subway smile and like laugh, like that's cool. Like that's like a, a cool successful day. I used to kind of, kind of living in, or, grow, or recently living in New York City. It's like, go and buy people dinners or, that are kind of homeless or kind of less fortunate and stuff like that. Just sit with them and talk to them for 10, 15 minutes and just kind of, we're all humans. And that's, I think, the coolest thing. It's like, at the end of the day, we're all just freaking humans. And how do we just engage in that life in that way and appreciate the beauty of the simple things? That's kind of what all life is about.
1: Totally. Where did you grow up? I grew up on a
2: port I grew up on a horse farm in New Jersey. So it's called the Garden State for a reason. Yeah. You know, right. So you got nice places, nice horse farms when you kind of keep going out west.
1: <laughs> All right. So we're gonna move on to sub rapid fire. The best business advice that you've received. Keep moving. Your mantra for success.
2: Everything happens for a reason.
1: Favorite book, podcast, mentor for growth, personally or professionally?
2: Shoe Dog is one of my favorites. The story of Nike, because it t- just tells you the story of being an entrepreneur and the craziness. And then The Alchemist.
1: Good one. Three random things that you're currently loving. It could be anything, TV show, product.
2: So I'm reading The Alchemist again. <laughs> Uh, that, I also just got a cowboy hat for the first time. So I love that. I'm rocking talking the And then the third one, I'm excited because I just bought one of those aura rings, so I, now I can, yeah, now I can understand how much I don't sleep.
1: <laughs> I have a whoop and I'm obsessed with it and it is definitely a must. So I'm excited for you to enjoy it. What do you want more of in your life?
2: I'm looking to build a family.
1: What
2: do you want less of? Stress.
1: A meal that you'll never forget.
2: Honestly, we were just talking about this last night. I said, what's everyone's best meal ever. Mine is in Japan. When I got invited by this little amazing, sweet old woman that was just standing on the side of the road saying, do you want to come down and have food at my place? I was by myself I said, yep. And I walked downstairs. And it was three Australians, two Polish guys, and me and her. Or she didn't speak any English, and she cooked the best Indian food in Japan that wow. I ever had in my life.
1: Wow, that sounds amazing! Yeah. How did you trust that this woman? I mean, I guess who knows what was happening, but
2: yeah, you just I followed like your gut. Like I, like I just go for it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> your favorite career moment
2: i think it's upcoming when i finally see do good chicken on the retail shelf and we're launching in a thousand retail locations and actually get to kind of see this whole system be complete and and recognizing the hard work that's gone in and the countless years that's going to be the coolest moment
1: and when will product be on the shelf and where
2: April 22nd, this coming Earth Day, we'll be, yeah, we'll be launching all around the Philadelphia region with uh, Albertsons and uh, A- Able and Giant, and then uh, expanding nationwide with pretty much every major retailer.
1: So exciting. Lastly, what is your number one non-negotiable to thrive on your wellness journey?
2: Integrity. And honesty.
1: Love it. Well, in closing, what else is next for you, and what haven't we touched on, if anything?
2: What else is next? Um, I think I'm. I think I'm just going to keep building <laughs> these kind of current platforms. So I'm excited for that. I think a lot of the crazy hard work and getting it into the right form for massive adoption has taken place, and now I'm ready for us all to. Be a part of that solution and uh, the recognition that we can change and become better for the environment and yet still have a great, high quality life and have delicious foods, consume the same products that we we want, but to do so in a way that actually puts nature in harmony with people.
1: Do you have a plan on the 22nd, what you're going to do to celebrate the launch? Eat some chicken. Nice. <laughs> Well, Justin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Where can everybody find you?
2: Uh, I'm I'm a big Instagram guy, so just j underscore kmine. Uh, that's the best way, and uh, LinkedIn as well.
1: And then do good food.
2: And uh, I do good chicken. Yeah, do good chicken. Yep.
1: Awesome. Thank you
0: so much for coming on today. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me on Live Purely with Elizabeth. I hope you feel inspired to thrive on your wellness journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review. You can follow us on Instagram at purely underscore Elizabeth to catch up on all the latest. See you next Wednesday on the podcast.